Hi, David. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. David, I've been sort of looking online um, and we've been sort of having a look at some of the stuff that you have achieved at Building Lens. And for yourself as an entrepreneur, why did you get into engineering and what made that lead you to having your own business? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, it's a good question. Um, you know what? I was um, sitting at my future father-in-law's table and I was studying um, some information because I was going to school to be a drug and alcohol counselor. And uh, at that moment, uh, I think I was studying like math 65, some low math. And and Tom McCormack comes up to me and say, hey, David, you know, you're, you're pretty good at math. Hey, well, what do you think about calculus and what do you think about engineering? And and I came to Tom and I was like, what is an engineer? And from there, he took me under his wing and uh, I uh, learned what an engineer was. And uh, I graduated and got my degree in engineering. So it was really uh, it was an opportunity that I could not pass up. I didn't wasn't destined for it. I, I guess I was destined for it, but it just it it wasn't truly my choice. It was an opportunity. Okay, so what is an engineer? Uh, <laughs> that's a good. That's another great question. We interpret math. We use math to solve physics based issues in order to make sure this physical world stays intact. And that's that's the broadest definition I can give you. My sister was a great engineer and had some amazing successful companies. She even brought Apple to Ireland and knew Steve Jobs quite well. And one of the things she said to me, which I've learned as an engineer, she said, never worry or sweat over the small stuff because there's other people that will look at that. You have to look at the bigger picture as an engineer. Would you agree with her? Uh, I agree with her as a a lead type of engineer. I, I definitely agree that looking at the big picture and keeping people motivated is true, but somebody has to get in the weeds. And, and uh, I think that's an engineering task as well. But as like your sister, I'm sure if she worked with Steve Jobs, she was a leader. So I would imagine that, you know, she had to keep people motivated and let them understand what we're doing, the bigger picture. Yeah, she got the contract for bringing Apple to Ireland, Western Digital. I don't know if you know Western Digital as well, and them and mm-hmm. some of the big pharmaceuticals. But engineering, when people think about engineering, there's vast different career paths for engineers. What career path did you choose yourself? Well, um, so my father-in-law, he was... Uh, He was a structural engineer and I wasn't too good with wood, didn't like that stuff. I was always taking apart electronics when I was a kid and just breaking stuff and making my own new electronics that didn't work. So uh, I like that type of stuff. And uh, I learned about renewable energy engineering and helping the world, you know, doing uh, complex um, projects. And that just that was really cool to me. So I went down that path and then I learned that I like building systems and I like thermal fluids and I like just the the way that we have to use empirical data to make our best estimate because mechanical engineering for thermal fluids, it's like an art. It takes experience. It's not just math. 
So I fell in love with that path and I stayed and really became a building scientist throughout my undergraduate career. And um, that's where I I came into what they call the demand side management of industry, helping the utilities manage the buildings that use their energy. Renewable energy, building science, people listen to this today will go, oh, they sound interesting. And it's quite fitting for the world that we are living in at the moment because there's so many disruptors going on and everybody is looking or asking the one question, what can we do? So from a building perspective point of view, what have you learned or what have you discovered that can be introduced into the industry that can actually help people do better or live a better life in this world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe, that's a great question. But, you know, first, I I would think that it's simple, but we have to change our perspective first. First of all, the status quo is getting disrupted and I don't care about them. I'm a corrector. I'm here to correct and try to help the world. So disruption to me has a negative connotation. I'm here to correct and help. And I think it's about the people. What I've learned through my 12 years career is that we ignore the people. I mean, utility programs, we go to large conferences, talk about all these acronyms, the EUI, RTU, HRV, and we ignore the true value, which are the people in the buildings. So, What I've learned is that if I go to them and show them how I make their lives better right now, today, then they will help me make the world better for everybody else. And it's um, it's really treating them like people, giving them the value they deserve and um, incorporating them in how, you know, we do the rest of the work, especially when we're trying to help out humanity. We got to start with the people first. Why do you think people are important? I like to grow people. Uh, you know, that's just how, how I am. I enjoy relationships. I enjoy seeing people grow and I, I enjoy mentorships. So uh, it's something that it gives me energy. I, I have found through my life that when I'm trying to help people learn how to fish, I'm learning how to fish better as well. So it's uh, I don't know. It just works for me. Yeah. When you look at the bigger scale of things and you look at organizations and businesses, they're actually people behind those mission statements or the company logo. So it is it is important. But from your 12 years of expertise and focusing on renewable energy and sort of looking at the science of behind buildings, can you elaborate a little more when you say, you know, the science behind buildings and what you have discovered and what the future holds for us as well. I know it's a bit of a long question, but I'm sure you can you can understand what I'm coming from. Well, what I've discovered is that science and the methodologies that, that the engineering field has come up with are very important. But what is more important are the knowledge that the people in the buildings have. For example, Uh, You know, I work with utilities a lot. Um, Whenever I do an energy audit at a building that the utility told me to go to, yeah, I'll start with maybe the the 
the chief financial officer and talk about a capital improvements project. But the next person I'm looking for is that facility manager or the janitor or the person that maintains that building. And then once I get to them, they're the ones who I, I tell them immediately, like, hey, you know, I'm an engineer, but I don't know much about this building compared to you because you're in it. You're here every day. You make this thing work. Um, I want to make you look like a champion. So let let me help you make this work better and reduce the cost of what you're doing and possibly say um, avoid energy use. It's just it's like I don't approach the client as, hey, I'm the expert, do exactly what I say top down. No, I approach the client as let's put our heads together and and I want to help you. I'm trying to lift you up. So it's. I don't know. It's more of a way you do it. It's how we do it. It's not what we do. It's how we do it and why we do it. You know, if you think about it, everybody knows their own house. Like it's like when you buy or you you decide to rent a place and you walk in and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then when you move in and a couple of weeks later, you go, I didn't know it was that crack in the wall or my right. God, there's a tile missing there or this doesn't work. You know, right. and that's why I think it's great that you're actually taking that approach because you go to the person that's been living in the business for a long time and asking yeah. them, what the hell is going on? What's going <laughs> on? You know, yeah. um, old buildings and yes. new buildings. And we know that old buildings probably are so out of date with renewable energy and heat loss or air temperatures are newer buildings still have this issue or is there work to be done right across the whole board between new and old you know there's work to be done right across the whole board between new and old because there's one thing we have to realize uh, in this clean energy economy that Mitigation, yes, it's we need it. We have to mitigate and 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 reduce um, CO two. Although adaptation is much more important right now, because as we've seen the weather and how things work and the catastrophes that are happening across the world, we need the frontline. We need to help the frontline communities adapt. Right, so. With adaptation comes non-static. Uh, so this is, a, I'm trying to figure this out in my head right now, Joe. So with adaptation comes dynamics, meaning you have to deal with something that you didn't expect to come. So equipping buildings to deal with unexpected weather events such as bad air quality, smoke from fires, pollution, different things, that needs to be done as well, along with reducing energy use. Because we need to prioritize the people first and their health and their safety. And then those people will help us prioritize the building. Because if you really think about it, as the world heats up, the most valuable real estate in the world is going to be safe indoor environments. And those are buildings. So every day, the value of a, the indoor environment of a building 
increases. It sounds a bit like, you know, a futurist planning Mm. future pacing what's going to be seen in the years ahead. I know that you spoke about some of the issues that are having. And when you're speaking to to management or you're speaking to building providers, what are some of the key factors that you've found in doing your research? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so when it comes to managing buildings, we have to help these, these managers be able to manage fleets of buildings, many of them. Like we cannot have just one manager per building, especially when most of our buildings are small in the world. Um, so with that, you know, we, we've done, and based on our experience and a lot of the, the, the research we, we have done, we have seen that, you know, property management firms deal with things like high staff turnover, um, increased utility costs, antiquated equipment, you know, equipment that is 10, 15 years old because of the past not having the money to maintain it. Uh, even the complexities of the clean energy economy that's coming, new codes and standards. So these property managers, they're 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 at a place where they know something is coming but they don't quite understand it. And at the same time, costs are going up, their equipment is antiquated and and they they can't maintain their facilities. So, you know, going in and helping them solve those problems, focusing on the client and then helping them make their customers or their tenants more healthy, focusing on the people, it actually helps us save them energy and makes it so that we can help out humanity. It's because everything is energy. Even ourselves, we're vibrating at a certain energy and energy input, energy output. So you mentioned there some points, you know, staff turnover, increased utility, uh, antiquated equipment. Talk to me about why staff turnover is one of the pain points? Is it because everyone's leaving and, and we need software like yours to to fill the gap? Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, COVID and COVID, you know, taught the world something. I'm not exactly sure what it taught us, but it, the people have, have changed since COVID. And... Um, with the new codes and standards, especially here on the West Coast, um, this the turnover in, on the West Coast, and then the way that the property managers have to continue to help their tenants, it's just things are getting complex quicker than they can keep up. And and then COVID shutting us down. Now, now they're kind of in a perfect storm. Like COVID shut them down. Now we're coming back to life. Everybody's going into the buildings. Oh, and guess what? We got new codes and standards. A utility costs are going up. And we know you need new equipment, but hey, it is what it is. Let's keep and so just the pressure on these type of firms is immense. And and I think it starts to trickle down into their staff. And I believe that keeping people there in turnover is is an issue. 
And so what Building Lens wants to do is help them solve that. We want to make their lives simpler. We want to help them maintain their, their knowledge, their tacit knowledge. Instead, if somebody leaves, we want to help them still keep the operational aspects of their duty so that they can quickly bring somebody else in. And hopefully that person will have a easier not easier, but a more defined job so they understand their role and then we can help reduce that turnover. Okay. So what is the cost then of having antiquated equipment to the owners of the building? Well, the first thing is it it doesn't provide the conditioning that it should provide. So the first thing we're going to focus on the people. It, It doesn't make the indoor environment as healthy as it can be. And for example, if buildings increase the ventilation, it's very possible that with increased ventilation, you get increased productivity from your staff. So increased productivity and then um, reduce sick days because air quality is better in the building. And now that's those are two things that I believe are very important. Now, here's another important thing is that when equipment is antiquated, it uses more energy and produces less effect so they're wasting dollar bills by using too much energy for work that could be use less energy. Would you say then that it is slower and it's actually costing more as well because as technology moves on, <laughs> this antiquated equipment is actually costing them more? Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. So the antiquated equipment, I mean, it even costs more in in time and money in troubleshooting and bringing contractors out to the site, trying to figure out what's going on with the equipment. And uh, instead of us being reactive and um, treating everything like it's a fire drill or fire, we could be proactive and prevent this from happening. What would be a perfect example? Would it be an old car, an old VCR, an old TV, an old hmm. dog? <laughs> <laughs> what would be a great example for an antiquated equipment? Is it like an old car that caused problems all the time and is breaking down because it has seen past its shelf life, but the person that's driving it is in denial? Yeah, and you, you can. So here, here's the antiquated equipment. So we treat our cars better than we treat our HVAC equipment. OK, so uh, I mean, for example, uh, there's a time I, drew, I drove a car that was, had 200,000 miles. It, it was a Toyota and I kept the oil change and I kept it maintained. And that thing lasted until 300,000 miles. Now, if we treated our HVAC the same way, then things would get maintained. Instead, we just run it with no oil in it, as long as it will go until it breaks down, then we have somebody come out and fix it. And then we just do the same thing again, run it till it breaks down, no oil in the car. And we we don't maintain it. We just ignore it and wait for it to break down. If we treated our HVAC equipment. What's the alternative then? Proactive maintenance, monitoring and getting information and and performing actions based on that information. So that's what Building Lens is is good at. We we get the information and then we devise the action to fix the the issue. 
It's not, we don't just hand property managers the information and say, hey, this is what we found, go do this. No, we say, hey, this is what we found. We'll help you get it done. This is the contractor you should use, and this is how we should get it done. And we will make sure that that is it's a quality thing. It's it's more of a, a journey we want to take with the customer, less of a transaction. So what you're saying is you're helping them get ahead of a problem which can actually either slow or shut the building down. Yeah. And building lens is actually sort of saying, look, we can step in with our software, which allows you to be more profitable, to more functional, steady as she goes. Like Simplify their life and decrease their operating costs and increase the health of their building. How is that going to utilize their time? How is it going to utilize their time? Yeah. What's the benefits for the building operators? Great question. So let's say if you had a building operator and they're operating 40 buildings and each one of those buildings have 10 HVAC units on them. So that's 400 HVAC units, right? These 400 HVAC units, you have to maintain and make sure they continue to operate to keep the spaces conditioned well and healthy. Building Lens will tell you the bad performers, like you can think of it as a grid with all green for the 400 buildings and the red ones are the ones that need your attention. So instead of an operator having to go find the needle in the haystack with the 400 buildings, we give them the information right up front. We tell them what the problem is and we tell them how to fix it. And that instead, we we make sure that they put their attention in places that needs it. They don't have to look for issues. Any type of tasks that need to be done will be right in front of them. How does it work? Well, we look at how the equipment performs and how the performance degrades over time because mechanical equipment degrades. Um, We look at what degrades and then we link that degradation back to the source of whatever is providing um, conditioning. For example, compressors, they provide cooling and heating and heat pumps. So the outside air temperature of a compressor, you know, it can only remove so much load from a building based off of the outside air temperature. So if last year it was removing 100% of the load at 90 degrees outside, compared to this year, it's removing 80% of the load at 100 degrees outside, there's degradation there. So based off what we find in that degradation, we'll be able to say, hey, this unit is starting to degrade and based off its uh, vintage, it looks like it has three years left. And with our understanding of an HVAC unit as such, this is the type of maintenance plan we would do. put it on. We clean the coils every the, um, whenever it needs to, to be done. Basically, we will put them on a proactive maintenance plan that would make sure their equipment continues to operate and they can predict when things need to be changed out instead of fire drills. Well, that's yeah, because fire drills cost money, money, yeah, <laughs> and disruption. So, what it's like is it's a monitoring system which can be run from an iPad. That if someone has twenty buildings, they have mm-hmm. one of your devices in in each area, 
and they can actually check to see the performance of what's going on and what's right and what's wrong in each building so it can keep functioning. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's a few different changes. Um, The equipment in the buildings, we are um, hardware agnostic. We work with IoT devices and web-based building management systems all in in the small building industry. So we just use the best equipment, right? We, We integrate with the equipment at the site and we get all the information from that equipment and we put it into the cloud. We analyze the information in the cloud. We give the information to the users and we actually perform actions in the building, automated actions. We're not just a monitoring. We're a remote energy management firm. Do you know I have visions as you were in the military and I worked on, you know, spent a bit of time on aircraft carriers and I noticed on the aircraft carrier, especially when I was on the Carl Vincent, they'd have a guy, young you know, E1, E2 privates mm-hmm. used to have to go down a ladder right down to the bowels of the ship to read the temperature and they come mm-hmm. back up and they'd be sweating and they'd come up and there'd be another guy up there and he goes, what's the temperature? And he'd write the temperature. And then 10 minutes later, the other guy would go down or a half an hour, the other guy would go down and measure it. Yeah. And that was their job all day is to basically to check what the temperature temperature was of the nuclear reactor that was driving the ship. So taking that analogy of what building lens is that, you know, the, the maintenance man is the captain of the ship. Yeah. He needs to know what's happening in every building that he's managing. Because if something goes down and he's not ahead of it, all the other buildings could be affected because he's no longer be able to manage or monitor them because his focus will be on something which will take his mind away and basically just putting it on one problem. Right. And you're describing the perfect storm that hits probably every property management firm most days yeah it cascades agreed so what you're offering is to gain insight into the energy users usage patterns so they can make formed decision to optimize their energy consumption while prioritizing the human in their space exactly lovely yeah. lovely yeah and that in itself then keeps expenses down so profits can go up right and it protects your occupants so like i said we control the building joe so for example let's say we had a senior living facility and um 50 miles away from that senior living facility we had a fire that emits particulate matter 2.5 which is bad for people with acute respiratory issues. So we would tell that facility manager, hey, there's a fire 50 miles away from you. The wind is blowing your direction. The bad air will be here in, we'll say, two hours. Until then, we're flushing your building with clean air. It may not be the most efficient use of your building, but it is the best use to make sure the health of your occupants are taken care of. Once the bad air gets here, we're going to close all your dampers. 
Stop making in outdoor air come into your building and let you know how much good clean air you have in your building. And then also provide you with more resources to remove to remove the particulate matter 2.5 that will undoubtedly seep into your building. So we're giving them some time to adapt to climate change as it continues to ravage our natural world. It's like we all drink tap water, but if you really want the best tap water, you get an <laughs> extra filter in. And that right. extra filter takes away the extra toxins in the water, which purifies right. it so it's a better quality. Is that what exactly. you do for air? We make sure that the building occupant has air available. Now, air lens will help facilities at weather events that are happening that are unexpected. Our minimal viable product of air lens, it just messes with the dampers and the fan in the building. So I am just delaying bad air from coming and giving them information so they can be helped. But in the future, I'm going to control uh, UVC lights, um, different, different active air cleaning technologies in the building to make sure that they are truly prioritized. I just don't have that functionality yet. You see what I mean? And I, I don't know it's, how to deal yeah, but, with that. But, but that's going to be like, if you think about it, that's the software, the technology yeah. is there and it's actually been able, like just there's, there's people selling clean air in bottles somewhere to someone on Amazon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me just one thing before we wrap it up. You mentioned something in the beginning about new codes and standards. Yeah. For someone who's in the business but not aware of them, what's coming down the tracks? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So uh, I can tell you about my local community where, where Building Lens is located. Um, a few years ago, we had what we call a heat dome here in the Portland area where uh, temperatures got up to 115 degrees in the Portland area. It's unheard of. Um, when that happened, hundreds of people died in the Portland area. And a lot of them were in the disadvantaged communities. And why is that? Well, Portland didn't have codes and standards that said, hey, you have to have cooling at the building. Hey, you have to have good air quality. You have to have outside air at the building. So now these property managers are um, learning about the codes and standards that are coming from the city of Portland that would force them to begin monitoring the, the space temperature and conditions and, um, and force them to provide um, good air quality and, and also um, cooling at every building. So with those new codes and standards, there's like, who can do this at a reasonable cost that would satisfy these codes and standards? And Building Lens, we saw the writing on the wall. And um, we've been developing Air Lens and <clears throat> in our product for this type of transition because we know that in order for humanity to last through climate change, we have to fortify the spaces where we spend 90% of our time, our buildings. 
What's the cost for Airlands? Airlands, right now, uh, we have it at, it, there's a base cost that we have to come in. It's a sliding scale of per square foot. And then um, we charge a fixed rate per tenant for multifamily spaces. So there's a base cost and initiation cost, and then, uh, then $10 per tenant per month. So if I have a building that's 20,000 square foot, which the air is pumping through it, but I only have mm-hmm. four tenants, it'll cost me 40 a month. 40 a month for the tenants, but I would still have to use the sliding scale to make sure I understand you, the rest of your building with the square footage. Yes. Okay. What's the future? The future is our built environment must, we're going to spend more time in it. I mean, we, we, the writing is on the wall. We're, we're, our temperature is going to increase above 1.5 degrees Celsius for sure. We may go over two. I hope not. But I, you know, at this point in time, I'm fighting for the better world, but I'm preparing for the worst. So uh, the future holds. The built environment is where we're going to spend a lot of our time, and we need to make it as conducive as possible. Yeah, like we do spend most of our time indoors, you know, winters can be rough, summers can be hot. Right. Even with or without climate change, we still need to be indoors to protect ourselves anyway. Yeah. Um, And with that all said, what's the future for the company? Well, um, we want to make sure that we address the populations that need the most attention right now, which are disadvantaged communities. Um, the first, that is our the first market that we, we are going into. Um, as we perfect and co-create uh, building lands user interface with that market, um, we will prove that we can take very complex information make it into digestible understanding, understood text, communicate with people that have not had the privilege of obtaining the type of education we have and make it valuable for them. And once we prove that, we'll be able to do it fairly. That's what the hypothesis we're operating under right now. David, have we left anything out? I've I just had fun talking with you, Joe. I learn more about you and myself every time. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Joe.